Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Gridiron Graduates. How y'all doing? Hope you had a good week. I am Bill Rossetti, joined by as my good buddy Ian Wharton. Ian, how you doing, my friend? How was your week? I'm good. I'm good, man. It's uh it's definitely that time of year over summer where things are a little slow. So of course we're dealing with a news cycle that's gonna overreact to uh a little bit of news here and there, but uh it's a good time of the year to to recharge a little bit. Absolutely, a little bit of a dead period, but it, it just gets so close. We're in the middle of OTAs, and you, you could feel it's right around the corner. So it's definitely a good time to jump back into football. Uh, before we talk about our football, just want to give a shout out to the other football. Shout out to the men's and women's soccer teams for their big wins over the week. U.S. Uh, women's team beating Australia three to one, and then men beating Germany and the Netherlands. I don't know how if you got to catch any of those games, Ian, but uh, certainly exciting to watch, especially today against Germany. No, I didn't have the chance to, but uh, I, I was kind of following it a little bit on Twitter, so it's, it's always nice whenever you're away from the TV to just check on Twitter and kind of kind of see all the excitement going <laughs> Absolutely. on. Uh, and then, of course, American Pharaoh winning the Triple Crown. That was certainly a sight to see too. Just especially with how big, uh, just how much he won by. So that, that was amazing to watch. So let's uh, jump into it, shall we? Ian? I think so. I think uh, the first thing we want to talk about, certainly one of the surprising bits of news over the week, was Anthony Davis becoming the fourth 49er this offseason to announce his retirement. He's joined. Chris Borland, Patrick Willis, and Justin Smith as players who, between somewhat surprisingly and uh, pretty surprising, decided to hang up the cleats. Uh, Davis, of course, missed nine games last season with hamstring, knee, and concussion issues. What was your take on Anthony Davis when you heard the news? Well, it was really surprising, and... Obviously, this this late in the game to kind of to throw a retirement or even like a sabbatical. I know some people had talked about him maybe taking like a year off and then coming back. Um, you know, this was a couple years ago. This was a top five to ten right tackle in the NFL, and he he struggled from injuries the last couple of years, and I'd say the last two years he probably hasn't been the same player that he was um, in his first few years in the in the NFL. But nonetheless, it's still a damaging blow to the team. I mean, like you talked about, there's four guys that were leaders on this football team now all of a sudden disappeared uh, from that locker room. And you just have to wonder what's 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 going on. I mean, even Eric Reed, uh, that's uh, about to be a third-year safety, second, third-year safety, um, this is a guy that he even talked about possibly retiring. So I don't know what's going on in San Francisco. It's it, It's just very unusual considering everyone's known about these issues um even with all the research out there now you could argue that yeah there's more information to it now than there ever was before but it's not like people play the game of football thinking that they'd never get hurt i mean it's just an assumed risk with the task so it's 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 surprising and obviously we wish him well and if he does come back in a year hopefully he's the guy that two or three, four years ago, was a top five to ten tackle at his position across the league. Um, it's just very it's very interesting timing, I think. 
Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, like we said at the top of the show, we're in the middle of OTA, so you know, it's not like we're sitting here in February or March and he's de- he's deciding to hang it up. We're essentially two months from training camp. Uh, and I went back and watched a little bit of the Niners O-line, uh, you know, the last couple of days, just to kind of see how things were different between when Davis played and when he dif- didn't. And there was certainly a pretty big difference between when Davis was in and then when they had to put Jonathan Martin and a guy you know pretty well uh, following the Dolphins. Um, you know, with with Martin in there, it, it was just a completely different ball game, and Martin just never lived up to the to the expectations that we thought he would bring as a first round pick. So, you know, uh, yeah, and that's definitely I think why teams put a big emphasis on character, football character. Mm-hmm. Does a guy love the game? And you know, when the Dolphins grabbed Jonathan Martin. It was, he had just slid out of the first round, into the early second round, and I think the big concern was, is this guy soft? And not necessarily on the field, although he did prove to be soft on the field as well, but off the field, can this guy handle an NFL locker room? And clearly, you know, he had his issues in Miami, and uh, he's bouncing around the league now because on the field, he's just not good enough. He's not good enough as a, even really a backup because in a pinch you need to be able to count on somebody to be at least somewhat dependable to not destroy the offense. But he's he's not been that guy. He's not been at all dependable to this point. So um, I think what they're going to do moving forward, I, I think Alex Boone, their former right guard, I think he's going to kick out to tackle. And I think you see Joe Looney step into guard. That way, they're they're still fairly strong in pass pro. Um, I think it's optimistic to think that this is an offensive line that's going to be dominant. You've got Brandon Thomas sliding in at left guard. Um, that's going to be an interesting thing because Thomas was really talented at Clemson, mm-hmm. but he was coming off a torn ACL. You never know what happens with lower body injuries. You know that stuff can. You know we say a year. But sometimes it takes a second year because they have to build up the strength again and not just, you know, in the weight room, just playing strength and being comfortable with that, trusting his body. Marcus Martin, I was really high on him as a center. But again, you're looking at entering the season as a first year starter. And it's just it's moving a lot of guys around right before the season starts. And that could be a dangerous thing, especially for a guy like Kaepernick, who really needs a great offensive line. Yeah, and. You talked about Brandon Thomas, uh, and I agree with you, especially with offensive linemen. You know, lower body is so important that, uh, you know, coming off an ACL injury, it's going to be interesting to see how Thomas plays. And I was with you. I definitely like Brandon Thomas myself coming out of Clemson. I thought getting him late third where the 49ers got him was pretty good value considering, you know, they had an opportunity to stash him for a year and give him a chance to recover and you know now we're going to see what he has uh it'll be interesting to what they do with eric pierce because there's talk that pierce might get the first crack at right tackle so you're probably going to see a little bit of a competition either way this doesn't look like an offensive line that is going to be a strong unit and 
you know, it's it's like you just said, with uh, the type of offense they're going to run, and it's not like Colin Kaepernick was exactly dominant last season. So it's going to be really interesting to see not just the offense, but both sides of the ball because they certainly have a lot of holes that they need to fill. Uh, I saw that Michael Wilhoyt just, uh, I think, signed like an exclusive rights tender or something like that, so at least he's in there. But is this looking like a down year for... I, I know there's talk that, you know, like obviously they've regressed, but is it possible that team this team has regressed to the point that maybe they're picking top five in next year's draft? Yeah, I mean, it seems kind of like a crazy question to ask, but I think it's a fair one. Um, they had a, a really rough free agency, just losing guys. They still have a really good roster, though. Like, you look at their roster, and you, you can't help but say, well, they've got some really good players at key positions. But I just think it all comes back to Colin Kaepernick, and, and I'm not sure how you feel on Kaepernick, but I'm probably one of the lowest people on Kaepernick. I, I just... When everything broke down last season and he was asked to do anything more, he couldn't do it. He just he and, and you can't say that he's raw. That's one thing that I just don't agree with with him is that, you know, or at least inexperienced because you look at him and he played multiple years at Nevada and it's kind of a big transition to San Fran in the NFL. But overall, this is a guy that his habits are ingrained. He's not going to just change who he is and how he plays at this point. This is who he is. And I don't think we're going to, we need to, I don't think it's even fair to expect him to change anything drastically. So the question is, can he carry a mediocre offensive line until we're proven otherwise? A mediocre receiving group again until we're proven otherwise. Um, it's a pretty deep backfield, but he needs an excellent running game to be effective. And, I'm not sold on him. I'm I'm really far from sold on Kaepernick, and I, I I don't know about top five. But then again, you look at their division, and you say, can this team win more than one game in their division? I I'd be surprised if they did anything more than one win in that division because I mean it's just so strong around them. Uh, despite some talent on the roster, their secondary isn't great. Um, their defensive line isn't really great. Darnell Dockett's nice, but Again, he's coming off an injury. Uh, Tank Carradine, we don't know much about him, although he used to have promising talent. And then again, we just talked about the offense. It's just there's a lot of question marks. There's a new head coach. Tom Timsala does not seem to inspire any confidence from the outside in. So this really could be a team that's looking at drafting a new quarterback pretty high next year. Yeah, and, and I'll be the first to admit, too, on Kaepernick that I was really high on him. I even wrote an article uh, about two years ago saying, yeah, I really think Kaepernick's going to be a star, and he does this well, he does that well. Uh, that's starting to blow up in my face a little bit. So I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I'm probably going to be dead wrong on what I thought Kaepernick could be. But it's going to be interesting to see, and uh, the nice thing is a lot of people will get to see Kaepernick, you know, early on because, of course, they have the second Monday night game. So if, if people are awake late enough, they can watch him. Uh, so now that we've, we've talked about Davis and gotten that out of the way, 
let's uh, let's stay on the West Coast and let's talk about a guy who's probably feeling pretty good about himself, and that's Chargers defensive lineman Corey Legit, who just signed a five-year contract worth about fifty million dollars, getting thirty million guaranteed. I know I've seen you post on Twitter when this news broke that you felt he's more replaceable than Eric Weddle. And it's an interesting question that why would they focus a lot on Legit now? I mean, I'm not saying the contract that they gave him is bad or that they shouldn't have locked him up, but why give the give all this money now to Legit and not even look at Eric Weddle knowing that you have one of the best safeties in the NFL, do they feel they have somebody uh, behind Weddle that maybe they're maybe they're happy about, or do they like some of the safeties in next year's draft class? I, I don't know. I just think it's really interesting that they're not even going to talk to Eric Weddle White right now. Well, what's your take? Yeah, definitely agree along those lines. Um, because you have to look at this in two different directions. The first is, is the Eric Weddle issue. Weddle's a fi- fantastic safety. I think he's a top three safety in the league um, behind Earl Thomas and Devin McCourty. Um, just what he does for a defense, and they haven't had a lot of talent back there until last year, and he's been able to cover up for a lot of issues back there. Um, to not even engage with him on a contract is ludicrous because this is a 30-year-old player, and we know that they hit the cliff fairly quickly after that. However, he's got a game that's going to age well. He's an instinctive player. He's not a guy that's reliant on 4-3 speed to be great. He does other things that make him highly effective. And if you're looking at him, you should easily give him a two- or three-year um, contract guaranteed. So, you know, to, to not even approach him about a contract and just let him hit free agency just says a lot about GM Tom Telesco, I think. You know, I think he's making a little bit of a mistake there. And then if you look at Corey Legit, you know, his contract is rich. I mean, it's there's no other way to look at it. And, and, and here's from the team perspective. Here's what they're probably saying. He's 25 years old. He's not even in his prime yet. Um... Let's lock him up to a five-year deal where we don't have the specifics yet, I don't believe, where it's probably a two- or three-year guaranteed deal. And in the best-case scenario, he fulfills this contract. Now, he's going to have to take some major jumps to get there, just to give an idea. So he has has the seventh-biggest contract of all defensive ends in the NFL. And he's far from the seventh-best defensive end in the NFL. Even in a 3-4 front, it doesn't matter which way you're looking at it. He got a five-year, $51 million deal. That's more money than Jerry Hughes got from Buffalo this offseason, and they're basically the same age. It's more than Everson Griffin got from Minnesota last season. It's more than what Carlos Dunlap got from Cincinnati two seasons ago. It's more than Jarrell Casey got from Tennessee this same offseason. It's it, it's just a lot of money for a player that's not that standout. Um, when you look at the numbers, and I'm using PFF not not for their overall grade, but just for their 
quarterback hurries. That's really what I want to focus on because that's Legit's job. I mean, he's he's not really a great run stopper. Um, you know, they have him ranked as a top 10 run stopper, um, but just barely. And they have him as a top 10 um, overall in terms of quarterback hurries in a 3-4 scheme. So that's just the 3-4 scheme, and he's just barely in the top 10 there with 24 quarterback hurries. I, I just I think he's closer to above average than elite, and you have an elite playmaker on your defense at the most premium position in the secondary at free safety. And so, I, I mean, it's just it's a rich contract, and I'm not going to hate the contract because Legit's a good player. He's not a bad player, and it, until we see the structure of the deal, it's not fair to blast that signing, I don't think, because we may end up seeing that it's only two years guaranteed. And then, I mean, at, at that point, that's not a huge deal. I mean, you can swallow whatever the, the penalty is if he doesn't work out past that. But it's just a lot of money at face value for a player that hasn't really produced like that type of player yet. Mm-hmm. And... I'll I'll kind of echo what you said about safety being a premium position. I mean, we've seen the Seahawks the last two years now in the Super Bowl, and it seems like a lot of teams are trying to copy what they're doing in terms of trying to find that really good safety. Like, a few years ago, safety was a, a decent position, but not necessarily as valued as it was today. Now that they have a guy like Eric Weddle, you would think that that would be one of the first players they try to lock up. Um, and a- again, it's just really interesting to me that they're they're not even talking. And if he gets if he hits free agency, then boy, some team if it's not San Diego is going to land a quality safety. Um, I'm trying, and he's only 30 years old, so it's not like he's on the decline. He, he's still a solid safety, like you said, a very good one, um, a- excellent in the run, excellent in pass. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Th- things can think, We've seen things change very quickly, but right right now it's just a waiting game, I guess, with Eric Weddle. So uh, wait and see. But I, I like Legion as well. And I agree. You know, it's it's not a bad contract right now. Too many people people still get in the habit of, you know, looking at the total face value of the contract, saying, "Oh, fifty million dollars." Well, that's that's a lot of money, but they never look at, you know, they never dig deep into it. And you're right, we still have to wait on the uh, on the actual specifics. So that'll be interesting to see, but. He's, he's certainly become one of the, uh, I, I guess I'll say, like one of the linchpins of this defense, along with Melvin Ingram. And I, I guess you can throw Manti Teo in there if you want to. But um, certainly one of the anchors of the defensive line, I guess, is more what I want to say. So certainly and, not a bad idea to lock him up. And real quick, too, is – the focus on 2016 offseason, um, receiver Malcolm Floyd announced that he's going to retire after this season. And you're already looking at a new deal for Phillip Rivers. Um, and you're looking at a new deal for your best defensive player, Eric Weddle. 
it's going to be a very interesting offseason, I think, in San Diego. If that team doesn't win, you know, is there going to be pressure to basically start anew? Maybe, maybe not necessarily with the coaching staff. I think McCoy has done a nice job there. Um, he hasn't done a great job because obviously that was a team in line for the playoffs late last season and they just couldn't get it done. Um, but I think it's an interesting discussion. Although I think that's going to be a much more explosive offense moving forward with Stevie Johnson added and Melvin Gordon added. Yeah, and I'm excited to watch Melvin Gordon. And it's clear San Diego really, really wanted Melvin Gordon that they were willing to trade up, um, even with a team like San Francisco, to get Melvin Gordon. The offensive line is still kind of so-so, but even – even with that kind of offensive line, I think Melvin Gordon can still do, still do some good for uh, for San Diego, and you know we'll, we'll throw a little bit of fantasy in here. I think it's pretty clear that Melvin Gordon is probably going to be the best, uh, or is at least in position to be the first rookie running back and maybe the first rookie overall taken because, and, and we're just talking redrafts. We're not talking dynasty here. We're just talking regular redrafts. Because T.J. Yeldon still has, or not T.J. Yeldon, sorry, uh, Todd Gurley still has the uh, ACL injury, though T.J. Yeldon is probably going to get some opportunities in Jacksonville. Would you? Uh, let me ask you about that. I'm not. I'm not a huge fantasy guy, so I, I play fantasy, but I'm not one of those uh, fantasy experts. I definitely don't claim to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I do fairly decent, but you know, would you rather have? And and I'm not considering draft position next necessarily um right would you rather have duke johnson um melvin gordon or would you look at a guy like tj yeldon and not necessarily first um but if you were to have one of those guys um for this season who do you think really really does the best this year because I lean toward Duke Johnson. And who are we talk about? Duke Johnson, T.J. Yeldon, and Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon, yeah. Those of those three rookie running backs, who do you think has the best season? Because well, each situation is so unique. It, exa- yeah, exactly. All, all three, I think, are certainly in line. Yeldon, I'm kind of intrigued by, but uh, you know, it, it seemed at first like Yeldon was maybe going to get a good bit of the carries. You know, a lot of talk was. He could be the feature back, whatnot, but they still have Toby Gerhardt there, and I think they still want to give him some of the carries as well. Before they took Duke Johnson, Cleveland's running back was a mess. You know, I like to crow, I like to crow L, but uh, it, it just seemed like no one really wanted to take the running back job and run with it. So, and, and Cleveland's offense is going to be a mess anyway. You know, whether it's Josh McCown or Johnny Menzel at quarterback, I think they're going to run the ball a lot, especially with a new, a, a new and a very inexperienced offensive coordinator in play. Duke Johnson certainly is intriguing as a guy that, you know, maybe you take a late round flyer on, because, you know, it, when we're talking these rookie running backs, obviously the focus is going to be on the other. The other two guys you mentioned, and maybe Todd Gurley, Duke Johnson's going to be probably going to be available 
in in the later round. So maybe you take a chance on him, and you know maybe something happens with Terrence West or uh, Isaiah Crowell, and Duke Johnson gets his gets his opportunity. And I like Duke Johnson. You know he he's a shifty back, very very fast, and he's playing behind a good offensive line. I mean for his as much grief as we give Cleveland, their offensive line is still one of the better offensive linemen. Or, uh, let me rephrase that, one of the best groups of offensive line. You know, Joe Thomas, we know, is a stud at left tackle. Joel Batonio had a great rookie season at left guard. Alex Mack, as unhappy as he is in Cleveland, is still one of the better centers. So, he he's certainly a, Duke Johnson is certainly a guy that if he's given the opportunity can certainly run with it and can be one of, can be a guy like you know like a CJ Anderson you know a guy who no one expected much of anything and can just explode and I'll I'll even throw a couple other rookies and I'll I'll, throw, I'll even throw on Amir Abdullah I think yeah, a lot I like of that. People, I think I like um, his fit a lot there. Because who's his main competition right now? Joyke Bell. Now I like Joyke Bell. Right. But he can't be a featured back. He, he's got to have somebody to spell him. And Abdullah is a great guy to come in, take a few carries, and we know the home run hitter that Abdullah can be. You know, I, I'm I'm picturing that run he had. I forget who it was against. I think it was very early in the season. What was that? Against Mc, um, not McNeese. I think or McNeese State. I think it was. Yeah. Essentially, was run the game or win the game. So he can be like that. I don't know if I want to say, say like that Reggie Bush like player, but certainly another player that can. He he just needs the opportunity, and once he gets it. He he can definitely go far. So there you go, a little bit of fantasy, a uh, little bit of fantasy talk for you. And <laughs> it's we'll, definitely we'll, that time of year. So we'll certainly have some more fantasy talk as the week goes on. Hopefully, we'll get some fantasy guests in here, help help you uh, help you dominate your draft. Moving on, we'll uh, doing doing pretty good here, I think, Ian. Uh, I think we're going to move on to your boys now, the Dolphins. They certainly, uh, they certainly got a bit, of, certainly got bit by the injury bug, as uh, Devontae Parker, their first-round pick, suffered a foot injury, and is expected to be out eight to twelve weeks. Which means if he's out the full twelve weeks, you're pretty much right up to week one now. You're, you're not yeah. About three months from now. So, yeah. How how does this hurt Parker's development as far as this rookie season goes? You know, when he comes back from this injury, how long do you think is it going to take him to get up to speed? And is it kind of fair, or is it too much of a stretch to kind of compare his situation to what we saw last year with Odell Beckham? You know, it's it's really interesting because I've done some digging on this, and, and obviously I know people within the organization, um, and this was really surprising because normally what happens in this situation 
and why you would get this done. So what happened to Parker is in his fifth metatarsal, he had a screw replaced. And normally that'll happen if, um, if he's feeling discomfort or if anything popped out or was re-aggravating um, during practice or whatever. And it's, it's not uncommon to have this redone. So what's interesting about it, though, is they'll usually do a bone graft whenever, you know, without getting too doctorish, uh, this is just what people, you know, some t- doctors have told me on Twitter and such, um, they'll do a bone graft to make sure that everything is fine. But he didn't have that done. So from the vibe I got was that this was just super precautionary. Like, if they even had a, the smallest concern, they just wanted to get this done just so that for the long term, he is going to be taken care of and there's not any worry. Um, you know, on one hand, that's, that's kind of good, I guess, to hear. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's always kind of a red flag, I think, whenever you hear, like we said, lower body injuries, especially with a playmaker that's so reliant on his footwork to be effective. But it doesn't sound like this was a major thing. So I think he's going to end up being back probably well before. Um, that time frame, that, that 12 weeks, I, I think he'll be back at some point, maybe by the end of the preseason. Um, it, it goes both ways because you don't want to be too um, nonchalant about it because ultimately it is an injury to the foot, like I said, and any type of surgeries I think should be taken seriously. However, um, it's not it's it wasn't like a re-injury it was just something that he had a little discomfort and they wanted to make sure that it doesn't get worse so you know when he comes back he's going to definitely fight for that number one receiver position uh with the dolphins but they're looking to kind of build what green bay did green bay had four five um even six interchangeable receivers for the most part for years um until Jordy Nelson broke out and Jordy Nelson breaking out wasn't in the plans. So it just kind of happened. And obviously you get, you know, you're very happy about that. So, you know, whether or not he can separate himself like that, we'll see. Um, but I think he's going to come back and he's going to compete right away and get a, get a fair amount of snaps. Um, I think Jarvis Landry is still going to be the number one receiver in that, on that team. And then I, I think Parker probably, becomes the number two receiver by the end of the season. Awesome. Good info. And certainly for the listeners out there, Ian is definitely a guy to, uh, to go to as far as the Dolphins go. He, uh, he and Oscar Hazel also do a pod that pretty much focuses on the Dolphins. So anytime you could talk Dolphins, Ian's definitely a go-to guy. So from what you're saying, it sounds like it's not completely related to the foot injury he suffered at Louisville. Is that right? No, it it is that same injury. Um, oh, they're okay. just yeah, they're just going back and replacing one of the screws. Ah, uh, um, okay. Yeah, and and the worry is that just based off of what, um, again, some have, have sent me. Um, injury predictor on Twitter is a really good um, tool. Uh, he comes up; he has some very unique um, work, 
And of the four receivers that had the same injury as Parker before their first season um, in the NFL, two, all four of the guys ended up re, you know, injuring themselves quite badly at some point um, within the first two years of that injury, returning to that injury. So now one of the guys was Julio Jones, who's missed uh, 15 games over four seasons, but he's also an elite player. So you kind of deal with the injuries a little bit differently. And then also Demarius Thomas, who tore his Achilles um, and also had a knee injury as well. So I'm sorry, he tore his uh, he tore his ACL. I don't think he tore his Achilles. He tore his ACL um, and had another knee injury at some point too. So and obviously he came back and he's fantastic. So um, it's it's just a concern because you you just want to try to avoid as many risks as possible. Uh, it's just interesting to, walk, to move, watch moving forward because I don't know, honestly, I don't know what it all means. Like, it's hard for me as, as someone that's not a doctor to, to sit here and, and act like I know exactly what all this stuff means. And I, I certainly don't. Um, it just all adds up and it says, I'm glad that from a, you know, from the team's perspective, I'm glad that they're taking this conservative approach because the Dolphins have a cakewalk in five of their first six weeks of the season. Like if they don't end up at least four and two from the first six weeks, then Joe Philbin should just be fired right on the spot because they should be able to walk right over their opponents in the first few weeks. So Parker's not going to be needed right away. They have a pretty good receiving core now. Um, If Parker's needed to win any of those games, that's actually a a really big indictment on what they've done this off season. But I I don't think that'll be the case just to kind of let the listeners know he, he mentioned the first couple games their first two games are at Washington and at Jacksonville so those are certainly winnable and then they've got back to back home division games against the Bills and the Jets that Jets game of course being out in London I found that interesting that you mentioned how this team wants to be like the Packers and now they have a former Packer in Greg Jennings. I I think it's certainly going to be fun to watch the Dolphins, at least their passing game. I've really been happy with the improvement that Ryan Tannehill has made, uh, specifically in the last year. And now that he has a great stable weapon, even without Devontae Parker, you know, once you add Parker, obviously it's going to be even better, but even without him, I think it's a, solid stable receivers you know you you certainly can tell that the Dolphins focused on surrounding Tannehill with weapons you know trading for Kenny Stills signing Jordan Cameron the tight end and then obviously uh, drafting uh, Devontae Parker in the first round so it's it's definitely starting to get to the point where there are going to be no more excuses you know Joe Philbin has certainly been very conservative the last couple of years, and it's it's cost him. You know, I'm I'm sure you will agree with this. Two years ago, Dolphins should have cakewalked into the playoffs. They're sitting, I think, at eight and six. Easily could have got to ten and six, made the playoffs. Lose their last two games, eight and eight, out of the playoffs. And now that and I think this is what Bill Lazers or Lazers. Uh, second year as offensive coordinator yeah yep 
you know, so a, another year under him, and and I think I saw, I think it was the Dolph, the Dolphins they talked about when I found the story that said they want to attack the middle of the field more, which is certainly possible with a guy like Jarvis Landry, you know. So this should be a team that should be able to move the ball. Can they? I guess I'll just ask this: Can they unseat the Patriots atop the AFC East, or is a wild card more realistic for this Dolphins team this year? Um, I think I think they can unseat the Patriots. I don't think they will. Um, I think the wild card is is honestly just a little bit more realistic, um, just because until I see it from the Patriots, it's just really really hard for me to sit there and. And bet against exactly, them. Yeah. That just, <laughs> that just doesn't that's seem my smart. That I thought exactly too. For for as bad as the Patriots off season has been, until proven otherwise, they are the kings of the AFC East. And I, I Bill Belichick will find a way. Like e- even if Tom Brady is suspended for four games, this team will be two and two at the worst through those four games. I mean, one of those games against Jacksonville. Um, you know they might lose the opener to Pittsburgh, but still, they should be two and two at worst. And once Tom Brady comes back, it'll just be smooth sailing. You know we saw what they were at two and two last year. Everyone was writing them off, and you know I don't I don't need to say anything else about what happened. So right. Uh, but that's certainly a topic for another day because certainly as the season draws near, we're going to start previewing the. De- previewing each of the teams and previewing each of the divisions and we'll also be talking some college I think soon we should start previewing some of these uh, college conferences you know I know you've also been you've written a bit about the Big Ten for optimum scouting so maybe we'll use this as a little bit of a teaser what uh, throw some college in here what what are some what are some storylines you're looking forward to? In Big Ten, I know this is a bit of an impromptu question for you, but I like putting you on the spot a little bit here. But as far as Big Ten football is concerned, what are you most looking forward to? Um, I definitely want to see um, – well, the first thing, obviously, is Ohio State. You know, that's a team with just a ridiculous amount of talent. I think that they're going to cruise to a second title in a row. I, I honestly don't see that team having many issues. Um, maybe a couple games here and there, but I think that's a team that's just just way too talented, they way too loaded. talented. Yeah, like you could replace the worst team in the NFL and with the Ohio State Buckeyes, including the coaching staff, and I think that team could probably win a couple games in the NFL. Um, they've got two quarterbacks that could start for numerous teams in the NFL, so... Um, it, it's going to be fun to really see them, and, and are they as dominant as they should be? Um, how many yards does Ezekiel Elliott run for? That's what I'm going to be really watching, and, and as well as the quarterback development. Also, I'm going to be looking at Penn State. Can Christian Hackenberg turn it around? You know, I talked to an NFL guy a couple weeks ago, and we I, I brought up Hackenberg because I'm a big Jared Goff fan, uh, quarterback from Cal. Um, I'm not so much a Hackenberg fan, just based off of last year. I, I watched 10 of his games. I honestly did not think that Hackenberg was even a day two pick, um, just based off of the film, just just strictly 
based off this film. He's right. really poor decision making, really um, struggled at times reading defenses and adjusting to a new offense. And I know there's a lot more to factor in there. And his freshman season was a complete 180. So I, I personally don't know how to balance that. Um, it's very difficult to sit there and say, I know exactly who Christian Hackenberg is right now. Right. So if he can put up a great season in year two of a new system, he's got a little bit more help around him. Hopefully the offensive line plays a little bit better. Um, that would certainly make things easier for us to evaluate. Who is Christian Hackenberg? That's what I want to see. Is he Matt Stafford or is he potential, potentially a much better version of that? Um, he's he obviously got tremendous arm talent. So I think that that's that I don't need to see more of his arm. I need to see more of mentally. Is he NFL ready? Um, other than that, I'm really, you know, just kind of touch on some things real quick. Um, Michigan state, obviously I'm excited to see Connor cook. Uh, I, I think that that's always a fun team because they're so well coached. Um, uh, Michigan, Michigan's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I don't think they're going to do great. I think they probably get to nine wins this year. Um, their quarterback situation is just a, a huge question mark. Um, if it's going to be Shane Morris or, or whoever it's going to be, can they produce enough offense? And do they even have much defensive talent left? A couple of my favorite players on that defense have left uh, to the NFL. So, you know, the Big Ten's going to be fun. I, I love the Big Ten. I, I really do. I think there's a lot of talent in that that conference. Uh, they tend to do well in the bowl games. They're just it's a it's a gritty conference, and uh, uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that they're working with a little bit less sometimes. So I'm excited for their season. I'm definitely going to be watching all the teams. Um, I'm not I'm not working with Optimum Scouting in in such a big a big role this year just because of time commitments on my own side. Um, but I'm I'm always going to be watching that conference closely. Absolutely. Uh, I just want to mention too. We talked about Hackenberg. I was at the Blue White game, and I thought Hackenberg was okay. You know, I, I guess nothing spectacular. Um, and obviously, with spring games, you you really have to take it with a grain of salt because obviously the offense that Hackenberg is leading isn't exactly going up against top-notch competition. You know, we're talking the, the second-string defense here. But, you know, like, like you said, last year was really a down year for Hackenberg. It, it was really tough to sit there and watch Penn State games, just watch their offense just slug through all these games. It was amazing some of the games they were even able to win because of how poor the the offense was. The defense really had to step through and, you know, for Penn State fans, thank God they the defense did. Uh, offensive line was atrocious, you know, so now that they have a couple of recruits on, now that they have a couple of recruits on, along the offensive line, hopefully that's going to help keep Hackenberg upright. You have the receivers back in Eugene Lewis, who will always be Geno Lewis to me. I, I have to say that. For all my local listeners, everyone who knows me and knows when I followed Wyoming Valley West, my Hazleton guys will know that. 
He will always be Gino Lewis to me, not Eugene Lewis. Actually, wait, I think no, he. I uh, I think I completely screwed that up. He's Gino Lewis now, but he's Eugene Lewis because he's actually a former high school quarterback. Um, he was he was actually a high school quarterback at a school that's about about a half an hour from where I am. So certainly certainly fun to watch him fun to watch him do well at Penn State but yeah I actually just screwed that up he goes because I'm looking at Arlette's right now and it has him as Eugene Lewis and that's that's what I knew him as in high school now he goes by Gino Lewis but he will always be Eugene Lewis to me but I guess those in the NFL scouting scouting world at this point are going to know him as Gino but you have him and you have Deshaun Hamilton, who had a pretty good freshman season last year. So hopefully they can keep that going. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they re replace the tight end position now that Jesse James is off to the NFL, who I, I think is going to be a very nice tight end. I think the Steelers got a good pick out of him uh, in the fifth round. I, I know they wanted – they were probably trying to go after Max Williams, but couldn't get him. Baltimore got him, but – Jesse James is a very nice consolation prize. I, I would, and I think that's uh, not being fair to Jesse James calling him a consolation prize, but he, uh, I think he's going to fit in well with the Steelers and maybe take over for Heath Miller eventually. But like like you said, there's certainly a lot of stuff to watch in the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan State will be interesting to see how they replace Jeremy Langford, and obviously talked about Connor Cook. Uh, we'll see how Rutgers and Maryland do in year two uh, as Big Ten members, and overall, it, it should just be another fun conference to watch. And again, you know, like we talked about, the NFL divisions. Hopefully, down the line, we'll start previewing some of these conferences. Uh, definitely the SEC too so it'll be interesting to kind of look up what's going on there and kind of get our thoughts and listen see what you guys as listeners and viewers think uh so I think we talked enough long enough Ian what do you think <laughs> that was a fun night I think we did good I think we did good yeah so uh hope you guys enjoy the show and until next time, for my man Ian Wharton, I am Bill Rossetti. We are the Gridiron Graduates, and we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>